At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today on Radical Personal Finance, we're going to kick off another sponsor. Sponsor of the day today is SoFi. And on today's show, we're going to hear an extensive interview with Dan Macklin, one of the co-founders of SoFi. I think you're really going to enjoy this. SoFi is a unique new company that's trying to modernize the world of lending, and they might be able to save you some money. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. Thank you for being with me today. Today, I'm going to work to help you save some money. Saving money is important. Lowering costs is always a good thing. And so far, I think might be a way for some of you to do that. Might be useful to those of you with student loans. Might be useful to those of you with personal loans. And maybe even to some of you who are taking out mortgages. I first heard of social uh, SoFi. I was about to call them social finance. I think that's where the name comes from. I first heard of SoFi uh, quite a while ago. I pay attention uh, a little bit to the world of online finance, and started seeing this name SoFi prop, crop up. And the way that these things are usually launched, as far as uh, the world of, of online media and online financial blogging and things like that, is it'll launch in the form of a review, and usually that review leads to an advertisement or to an affiliate relationship, things like that. And so I started reading. Them and I started checking out the reviews and checking out the story, and I was favorably impressed with a lot of the things that I saw. And then uh, a couple months ago, and I was up in Charlotte for FinCon 2015, I was able to connect with the guys there, meet them there face to face, talk with them, and uh, we struck up a deal where I decided that uh, they would make a good fit for uh, support of radical personal finance. If you're not familiar with SoFi, SoFi is a really interesting. Story. I'm not going to spoil it here in the intro because you're going to hear the entire story right now in the interview that I'm about to play for you. But SoFi might be uh, might be a really good fit for some of you to be able to uh, refinance your student loans and gain the ability to cut your costs. And as those of you who have seen the Building a Framework for Wealth uh, presentation, uh, which, by the way, I often refer to these five points, ten words. I haven't talked a lot about that on the show. You can see it on the website, or if you want the comprehensive overview, it's the presentation that uh, I put out for all the patrons to see. So if you're a patron of the show, one of your benefits is you get access to that presentation where I lay out the five-part framework for wealth. But part number two is decrease expenses. Anytime you can decrease expenses, that's always a good move. Period. And so especially when it comes to things like debt refinance, that can be really useful. If you can decrease your expenses, that can be a good move. So if you can cut interest rates, it's going to help you financially. So sit back, relax, enjoy this interview with uh, Dan Macklin, one of the co-founders of SoFi. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And it should provide some useful insight. And I'll be back at the end to answer a couple of additional questions. Dan, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. 
Joshua, great to be here. So we're here today to introduce SoFi as a brand new sponsor of Radical Personal Finance. And I'm excited about talking with you because you guys are making quite the press. You've got quite the story. And I think this will be a fun, uh, a fun discussion. I'd like you to start by sharing a little bit of your personal story as it relates to SoFi. Walk us through your personal career journey and how that eventually led to your being involved with the founding of SoFi as a company. Okay, so as you may be able to detect from my accent, I'm not from around these parts. I'm from uh, from the UK. You're from Alabama, and, right? I, I hear that southern drawl. <laughs> just just east of Alabama somewhere. Uh, um, and I worked for a big international bank, Standard Chartered Bank, in the UK, Singapore, and China for about 12 or 13 years. Uh, that was great. Uh, then I thought I'd like to get the US experience and, and do uh, what effectively is a, a one-year MBA. There's a, there's a course at Stanford that, that do full-time one-year um, MBAs for people with slightly more gray hair than, than, than the, younger, uh, the younger people doing the regular <laughs> MBA. Um, so I fitted into the, uh, the gray hair category, did that. This is back in 2010 with the intention of, of having a nice year in California and then probably going back to Asia somewhere. I was sponsored by my old bank. Um, but really fell in love with the place, Silicon Valley and, and, uh, and, and the country at large and the opportunities that existed here and um, tried to come up with an excuse to stay. And by this time, I have a, a wife and two kids and we thought this is a, a nice place to bring up a family. Um, and fortunately, I uh, got into uh, a group with some of my classmates, including Mike Cagney, who is the CEO of SoFi. Um, and... Uh, four of us, we, we came together and, and had some ideas for how we thought personal finance could be done a little bit differently. And we had some ideas and then we thought, okay, why don't we make this into a company? So I resigned from my old bank back in uh, April of 2011. We graduated in, in late May, I think it was, on the Saturday and we started the company on, on the Monday. Um, so that was just a, a shade over four years ago and then it's been a, a fun ride since then. So this is the quintessential Silicon Valley entrepreneur story. What a cool, uh, what a cool background. Uh, what was the market opportunity that you saw at that time that you guys wanted to exploit? Okay, so I'll answer this in two ways. I think at, at a very high level, we saw the financial services industry, and, and all of us had come from that industry prior to going to Stanford. We saw an industry that hadn't really changed, we didn't think, that much given the, the new technology that was available. Uh, we were in a place surrounded by very cool companies doing very cool things. And if you just think about what you know, Apple and iTunes have done to music and uh, Amazon has done to retail, uh, the world of print media has been turned on its head. All of these industries have been turned upside down and, and disrupted, whatever the word is you want to use. But finance was still being done generally in, in much the same way. Lots of intermediaries, lots of uh, or a lack of transparency. Um, and at the end of it, you have people investing and not necessarily earning a great return or depositing money and not earning a great return. And then banks lending that money and, and, uh, at a much higher rate. So we thought, why couldn't you put the users and uh, the people that need the money closer together? Uh, and this was in the infancy of the peer-to-peer -peer world. Um, so that, that was our kind of high-level vision. But at a, at a, at a, at a more... Um, ground level view, we, we were at a place, one of the best schools in, in the country, depending on which ranking table you care to believe in. And we saw that people were borrowing huge amounts of money to go for school. And these were credit worthy people. These were people that had great jobs prior to going to business school. And the chances are would have great jobs 
um, after leaving business school, yet they were still borrowing at 7 or 8%. Uh, so as we dug into it, uh, because student lending was not an area that any of us had any expertise in prior to SoFi, but as we dug in, we realized that student loans and student lending in general was a huge industry, if you can call it that, uh, over a trillion dollars second only behind mortgages in terms of, of debt in the U.S. And that uh, even despite this huge size of it, there was very few. There were very few options for people to borrow. Everyone was borrowing at the same rate, uh, generally very bad levels of service, and we just didn't understand why. So that was the origins for the business, and that's why we started SoFi and why our first product was in the student lending area. Did it begin as a peer-to-peer product? It did. Uh, it did. So at the time, um, I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with Prosper and Lending Club, and these companies have gone on to grow very quickly in recent years. But back then in 2010, they were still at their infancy. But there was this beginning of a, of a peer-to-peer movement. So our first uh, fund, our pilot fund, if you like, we had 50, sorry, 40 people, alumni from Stanford, invest about $50,000 each. So that created a $2 million pool. And we then um, lent that money out to uh, about 100 students at Stanford. So there was that peer-to-peer element. Um, since then, we've, we've moved, we've evolved a bit. We, we take in institutional money um, as well as individuals, really just to allow us to scale, to keep up with the demand for the loans. But, but back then, it was a little bit more of a purer peer-to-peer model. So now, uh, do you still allow individual investors to send money or has the, the peer-to-peer aspect gone away? No, we, we do. So uh, now it's, it's limited to accredited investors. So it's not necessarily for, for everybody, but for accredited investors, they can invest in the loans that we're making. Uh, and there are details um, on, on, our, on our website. Um, it is, I, I'd be honest, you know, the bulk of the money is coming from institutions, um, but, but it, it's a mixture. It's a mixture of money coming from big banks and pension funds and small banks and, and hedge funds, uh, not-for-profits, um, as well as individuals. So the actual loan products, now who are you targeting currently in 2015? So now in 2015, we've expanded from just being a student loan company to offering mortgages and personal loans as well. So our, our customers now, we, we call them members, we, 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 uh, we are um, adding about close to 10,000 customers, members every month now. And that's um, split across three primary products, student loan refinancing, mortgages, including new purchase and refinancing, and personal loans. So across those three products, uh, we're bringing in close to 10,000 people every month who are enjoying significant savings and, and getting great service. You, still, those student loans are the biggest percentage of your business, or what's the makeup of the loans that you're writing in terms of different uh, channels? Yeah, they are. So at the beginning of the year, it was almost 100% student lending. And uh, now, recording this, where are we? We're in October, and, and uh, we just finished September. And September, about 60% of our of our loan volume, which was close to $500 million just in the month of September. About 60% was student loan um, refinancing in its various forms. 40% was mortgages and personal loans uh, combined. But it's they're fast catching up. So by the end of the year, we think student lending will be dipping below 50%. One of the challenges is there seems to be various places that you can get money. What, in your mind, or in your 
business plan documents. <laughs> What's the competitive differentiator? What makes you different from other lending institutions? Good question. There's a few things. I think uh, at the heart of, of lending money, you have to have great rates. So uh, you can have the best service in the world and the slickest website, but ultimately you've got to have competitive rates. So um, I think that's very important. And if we talk about student loan refinancing, our customers are coming to us paying about 7 or 8% on average, and they're bringing those rates down to 3 4 or 5%. Um, they're refinancing around $75,000, which means they're saving around $14,000 on average. Many are saving $20,000 or $30,000 or even more. Um, so that's probably the primary reason why somebody is coming to us because of those savings. But I think that that's not the only thing. I mean, you have to have a easy and um, intuitive experience, application experience to allow people to get through. People are busy. Even if you dangle a carrot of $20,000 of savings, uh, they still have to get there. They still have to get through your process. So uh, we've put a lot of work into making our online application as, as quick and simple as we can. Um, so you don't have to speak to a soul if you don't want to. You can do everything online. You can take photos of your ID and upload that. You don't have to fax or Xerox or, you know, per, uh, or physically mail us anything. Um, but alongside that, that technology exists, real human beings sitting here in California, actually in the wine country, we think uh, happy people make for happy customers. So, <laughs> um, and it's bearing fruit, no pun intended. So um, we have people at the end of the phone who can help you through if you have any questions. So it's that mixture of uh, technology, but, but also um, real people on the end of the phone. Why are you willing and able to lend money at three to five percent if the market rate is seven to eight percent? Well, the truth is the market rate isn't seven to eight percent. I mean, I guess it depends how what you call market rate. The existing rate they're paying is seven to eight percent because that was pretty much the only option they had when they took those loans. But the market rate for this individual now is the rate that we're charging them, the three to five percent. Because these people have graduated, they have a job, they have an income, they have some kind of credit history, uh, they shouldn't be paying 8%. Um, so that is, why, um, that is why we are able to charge them a lower rate. So then where's the profit incentive for the investor? If the maximum rate, and I don't know what the maximum rates are that you're charging, is 3 to 5%, why would I, if I were an accredited investor, why would I be interested in investing through SoFi um, when – there's not so much profit there at that three to five percent rate. So, so sure, the the I mean the rates are are lower than than they could be. Um, but the truth is the um, the the quality, the credit quality of, of our customer base is extremely strong. So now I think we've just gone above sixty thousand customers, um, and of those customers, only five of them have defaulted on their loans. Wow! And, and of those five, four of them unfortunately passed away, and we have a provision in our you know, um, loan agreement that says if you pass away, you know, um, we'll wipe the debt. So if you exclude those people, there's only really one person who's willfully defaulted, if that's the right expression. Um, so it's a very strong book, uh, credit wise, financially speaking of, of customers. Um, and therefore that, you know, obviously we have to do a, a good job and continue to underwrite and approve people in, in that same manner. Uh, and let's hope the economy, we're doing well you know the number of people that have defaulted is extremely low so 
even though the rates they're paying are relatively low, uh, investors can still get a return given those very low levels of default. How do you screen for applicants? Is it based on which school and you're a Stanford graduate graduate and you're going to an MBA, so therefore, in theory, you have better job prospects than uh, you know Joe Sixpack who just got a, a basic degree at the local community college? Or is it based on, on something different? How, how do you actually maintain those high levels of repayment? It's based on um, many different factors, but the, the most important one is what we call uh, free cash flow. And what that boils down to is, do you have enough money at the end of the month to, to pay uh, your, um, your obligations, including this loan? So that is driven by a combination of your salary and, or different forms of income that you have. And then some sense for your, your general cost of living. And, you know, if you have um, different uh, mortgage payments or whatever you have that, that have to go out, then we'll, then we'll look at that. Um, so it's not driven from your credit score. We do look at your credit history uh, to see that you've been paying your your bills on time and you you know you haven't been bankrupt in the last couple of years, for example. But the actual score itself is uh, an extremely uh, low determinant in in working out whether we approve you. Um, and then we do look at your score, and but more importantly, really, is your occupation. So if you're in an industry that has very low levels of, of unemployment, then that counts in your favor. Um, you know, nurses, for example, there's a shortage of nurses in, in many cities in the US. So if you're a nurse and you live in whatever city you do, then it's very difficult for you to be unemployed. You know, you have to be really bad at your job to, to be unemployed. <laughs> so um, we look at those kinds of things. Obviously, some industries fare better than others. Um, and, and all of those things combined, you know, allow us to make the decision as to whether we uh, whether we can approve you. But we do approve more than 50% of the, the people that apply to us. So it's not, um, it, it's a high bar, but it's not, you know, unobtainable. Who are your major competitors in this space? So this is a great question because, and I always struggle on, on how to answer it because we were the first company to refinance federal and private loans together. So before we were doing it, there was no one doing it. Um, so in that sense, there wasn't any competition. And uh, since then, there have been some other companies uh, coming in doing, having similar business models. And there are earlier stages, but they're still doing something similar. Obviously, in mortgages, there's a lot more competition. It's a very crowded market um, and personal lending uh, as well. It, it's a much more crowded market. But I, I still believe, and the answer I give to this question is that our biggest competition is lack of awareness. And, and that I don't mean that to be glib, but I, I say it because there are millions of people out there with debt of one form or another who could um, save money and could um, save money by coming to SoFi. And it isn't that they're necessarily um, being competed for. or We're not competing with lots of people to find them. We just need to, we need to do a better job to make them aware. Um, so there are other players in the industry, but more than anything, you know, student loan refinancing, there's probably, there's 40 million plus people with student debt I don't know how many million of them could refinance, but it is millions of them. And, um, you know, we, we only have a tiny fraction of that today. Well done. That's an elegant answer. <laughs> Way to respond to an interview question. What are your major weaknesses? Well, let me tell you a story about a weakness that's a strength. Well done, Dan. I like the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, on, the mortgage, on the mortgage market. Yeah. Do you offer – so clearly the rates that we're talking about would re- relate to student loans. 
what is your drive or your competitive differentiation from the perspective of mortgages? A couple of things here. We, we, we started the mortgage product because our member base was telling us that they needed help with mortgages. So these were lots of people that had um, recently come out of graduate school, undergraduate school, uh, you know, trending in their late 20s, early 30s, looking to buy their first home. And they were credit-worthy people because that's who SoFi customers are. But they, the reason they hadn't been able to buy their first home was because they couldn't um, find the down payment. Typically, most, most lenders are requiring 20%. And if they can get away with less than 20%, they'd, they'd be stuck with huge mortgage insurance, PMI. So we, we looked at it, and we, and we didn't think that that needed to be the case. So we came up with a, a mortgage where you only have to put 10% down. The minimum is a 10% down payment. And importantly, there's no mortgage insurance um, on top of that. So what we've allowed is many people that have otherwise been priced out of, of the market, uh, who otherwise would have to wait three or four years uh, to save up that down payment, um, they've been able to come in and, and, and take a mortgage um, and buy a home sooner than they otherwise would. So that, that's one of the, the big differentiators that we have versus the competition. So it sounds like you're competing more based upon product design and appealing to a certain bar- set of borrowers versus uh, necessarily a real advantage in interest rates or a real advantage in uh, uh uh, you know, an even process. Although maybe your, I'm sure your process is much more elegant, elegant coming from Silicon Valley rather than uh, Indiana. But uh, <laughs> it sounds like you're primarily just focusing on a different segment. I mean, is there? There's not a real huge saving. I'm sure your mortgage rates are simply competitive. Is that accurate? No, they are. Um, so what, what I mentioned was for a, a certain demographic of people, but 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 you you hit it on the nail there, um, Joshua. And in terms of the service, like we we've. Many people at SoFi had been through the mortgage experience ourselves with with other lenders, and, and I don't think any of us were willing to tell our friends about it because it was very painful and long. And what we're trying to do at SoFi is shorten that and make it easier. Uh, and a real example of that is you can take out your phone now. You can apply for a SoFi mortgage in 90 seconds and be approved with a customized rate for you, and you can – um, dial up using your finger on your phone uh, the amount of down payment and see how that affects your rate. You know, obviously, as the down payment goes up, the rate can go down. Um, but that kind of instantaneous decisioning is just not provided elsewhere. Um, people have to apply and wait. You know, in many cases, weeks for a, for a bank to come back and say you've been approved. So the process is extremely important to us. The number of days um, that people are in the process is very important to us, and that's. Again, another big differentiator. And on the pricing, you know, obviously we have to be extremely competitive, um, but we're particularly competitive for the people that um, have only 10% to put down because there's a real lack of options out there. But also on the refinancing side, if you have a, a decent amount of equity in your home already, then we're extremely, extremely competitive. I have a SoFi mortgage, so I can speak from the heart on this one. (laughs) <laughs> nice. Now, it's definitely uh, it, the mortgage industry in many ways does seem to be, well, it seems to be ha, is slow to have accepted and brought in innovation. Uh, when you think back and, and look at the background of it, you know, me going through the process a few years ago, it's really frustrating. And the challenge is when you're working with an individual, how do you assure that you're getting the best scenario, the best product? Uh, I see, still see, I know some companies are offering competitive illustrations, but I still see the value of, of, 
you know, somebody bringing more transparency to the market so people can be confident that they're getting the best choice. Uh, it's a, it's a challenging market. So I'm glad to see you bringing some competition there. I'm interested, Dan, in your, what you've learned as far as your entrepreneurial story over the last five years. What's been the, what's been the growth rate as far as employees and what's been the experience like in five years of running a Silicon Valley startup? So it's been great. It's the first startup I've been involved with. My previous company had 80,000 people, so a very different type of company. Um, And obviously there are challenges that come with that. There's a lot of uncertainty at the beginning. Uh, when you be, when you start, you, you you don't really know where your customers are going to come from. You don't know where the funding is going to come from. You're not quite sure if the, the business model um, you know is good enough and works. Um, so, so, so that's a challenge, um, but, but that's what you get when you start a new company. Uh, and we've been fortunate enough to, to, to grow um, pretty quickly. So in terms of people, we're now up to over 400 people. Um, I think we'll be at 500 by the end of the year and probably by the end of next year, something like 1,500. Um, and, and I think the the loan growth that we've experienced at, at SoFi gives you an idea of, of the growth. So um, if you just indulge me for a second, it took us, I think, three years to lend our first billion dollars. So we got to a billion dollars after three years. And then each subsequent billion dollars has taken a much quicker amount of time to get to. So we got to two billion. I think uh, it took another five months. Three billion, it took another four months. Four billion, it took another three months. Uh, and we're just about to hit five billion, which will be that that last billion will be in, in just over two months. So it's a real rapid growth. You know, most of that growth has come during this calendar year, twenty fifteen. Um, and I think that's the really fun thing about building a business. It's tough at the beginning. But you get to some level, some level of scale, and then I wouldn't say it just happens because it doesn't just happen. But 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 it but you got the infrastructure set up, and you can just do a, um, a lot more and help a lot more people. Would I be correct in guessing that your equity stake in SoFi would be the largest value asset on your personal balance sheet at this point? Yes, yes, by a considerable way. Yes. So feel free to be circumspect uh, about numbers, and I know you're in a difficult situation running a you know a, a company. I'm not asking for any particulars, but I would like you to comment on this theme. On Radical Personal Finance, I talk a lot about entrepreneurship as simply being flat out the best potential investment for any person who's interested in building wealth. And you come from the finance background, the banking background, uh, depending on what aspect of the finance world you're in, you're accustomed at some some level looking for good investments. You chose to get an MBA at Stanford, which is has a unique educational program there, uh, as a unique culture with being there in Silicon Valley. And you've chosen to live in a unique part of the world. And it seems like it's in the process of working out well for you. Uh, from a risk reward standpoint, it would seem like your risk, your personal risk, and I don't know how much money you put in, and again, feel free to say or not to say, but your personal risk was relatively low. You were investing a lot of energy and hard work in an idea, and your personal return at this point seems like it's on track to be pretty substantial. Uh, talk about the process of wealth creation through entrepreneurship and what you've learned by pursuing this path. Sure. So, I mean, a couple of points. We're we're just starting here, so we're, we're doing well, but we have a long way to go. So uh, I don't want uh, anybody to think that that you know that we've that we've done it and we've succeeded because we're we're doing well, but we have a lot more to do. There's a lot more people out there that that, that need our help. 
Um, but coming back to your question, it was a very tough decision because I was being sponsored by my old company and I had a job to go back to. I was living a, a nice expatriate life um, in Asia with my you know, home paid for and my kids' schooling and healthcare and all that stuff. So, so to give that up for what was essentially just a, an idea, a PowerPoint deck, uh, was a really tough thing. And, you know, as soon as I, I tell this story to lots of people, but that resignation email was the most expensive email I sent because as soon as I resigned from my previous employer, I had to pay them back for the education that they were paying for. And I was giving up all kinds of, you know, equity and bonuses and stuff that, that, that I was no longer eligible for as a, as a, uh, a non-employee. So, um, that was a very expensive decision. So looking back on it, in some ways, I'm surprised that I made it because, because the chances of a new company succeeding, um, are very low. You know, most startups fail. That's just the, uh, that's just the way it works. Um, so I'm looking back, I'm, you know, pleased I made the decision, but I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was obviously the right decision for anybody at that time. Um, but, but, but it was the right thing for me and, and I'm very happy with that decision. Did you and or in, in your initial founding partners, did you guys fund the enterprise yourself or did you, as far as in the initial stages, or did you work to bring in investors from the early stages? We, we, we did work to bring in investors fairly quickly. So there were a few months where we weren't really being um, paid anything, um, but we weren't necessarily putting our own money into it. It was more you know, sweat equity. But that was a relatively short period. We, we had the advantage of coming out of Stanford where we, could, where we incubated the company effectively, that we got to interact with lots of potential investors. So fairly quickly after we graduated, we... We raised a round of financing. It took a few months, but but it wasn't a, a lifetime. Um, and then with that, we, we had some funding. And we, um, even though we weren't paying ourselves salaries that we would otherwise be earning, we weren't you know going too far into the red every month. Could you have started SoFi or a similar type of company if you hadn't been involved in the Stanford program or if you hadn't been in Silicon Valley? So hypothetically, yes. Um, it wasn't that the only people that could start a student loan refinancing business had to be in Silicon Valley or Stanford. But, but practically, I would, you know, I wasn't in, in the US, so I, um, I was in China. I wouldn't have come up with a, an idea for a US company and, and, and been able to move here and do it. Um, and I think the university environment Certainly, Stanford Business School fosters that 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 collaboration and people coming up with ideas and and we had a year really to work on something. I think that's tough if you're doing a nine to five job and you have demands on your time through your family or you know whatever else you have in your life. It's really tough then to get a few people to sit together and create a business. Um, and I think business school gives you that opportunity. So it's not the only place it could have happened, but 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 for me. It wouldn't have happened had, unless I'd gone there. I wouldn't have met my co-founders for one thing. Um, so that that's uh, Stanford it was instrumental in, in SoFi taking off. What was the most valuable aspect of the MBA? Uh, I I think it really is for me. It was coming to a place and learning about um, a completely different world that I was exp- had been exposed to. So I'd been a more of a corporate you know, nine to five kind of job 
not nine to five hours, but you know, salaried, you, you get what I mean. Um, whereas you come to Silicon Valley and, and San Francisco and everywhere around here, um, and it, almost everybody's involved in a new company. So I think it just spreads that can do attitude. And we used to have people coming into classes talking about their experience and how they'd built companies. Many had succeeded, some hadn't succeeded. But there was a, definitely an element of me thinking, well, if they can do it, why can't I? Uh, and, and there's a there's an infrastructure to raise money. There's an infrastructure to to find employees. Um, people don't look at you as an, a brand new company that isn't making money and say, well, that's a bit strange. That's a bit you know weird um, because that's the norm here. So um, I, I, I think just being in that environment was hugely beneficial for me. Do you consider moving out of Silicon Valley or taking your company out of Silicon Valley? So we have offices. SoFi has offices now uh, in five or six cities around the U.S. Um, so um, we only have about one. We only have about a quarter of our employees now actually in Silicon Valley or in San Francisco. Everybody else is in different places around the U.S. Um, so the heart of the company is still here, but 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 we're spreading out. Um, you know, spreading our tentacles around the country. What's the strategy behind that decision? Uh, I mean, a few things. We um, There are great employees in many places around the U.S., and we don't necessarily just need to be to be hiring here. From an operations perspective, there are advantages in having um, different operations units in different places, uh, you know, in case of catastrophe or or power outages or something. You don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. Um, we have our legal team um, out in, in D.C. where they're closer to some of the, the regulatory stuff that's happening. Um, so so there are just, we have engineers in, in, in Montana, um, which is slightly less competitive than, than hiring engineers in San Francisco. So there are lots of reasons why we're in different cities around the U.S. Do you think... Being involved as a founder, and I know I'm asking you personal questions. Feel free again if to to uh, evade the question if you need to. The journey of the entrepreneur, you know, the journey of the last five years. Have you enjoyed the journey? Are you enjoying it because of the goal? Is it more about the process of creation? Is it more about the money? What are you finding? being involved uh, kind of at the tip of the tiger, whatever the appropriate metaphor is, uh, with just a massively growing company, what's been the real joy and what's been the real challenges as a a founding member? So it's it's been really great. I've been extremely fortunate that I think we came up with an idea that was at exactly the right time. We were in the right place at the right time. And, and there's a lot of luck involved in that. There's a lot of hard work and, and sweat and uh, everything else. But, but there is an element of luck. Um, we formed the company at a time that we were probably two years, um, two, three years out of the, the, the worst element of the Great Recession. So people had started to invest again. But there still wasn't that much going on. Banks were still relatively uh, reticent to get back into lending and, and, and they continue to be really even today. So we've had this four year period where I don't think you could have picked a better time to launch this business. Um, uh, so that's been in our favor, but obviously there's a lot of hard work that, that goes along with that. Um, so I'm extremely pleased with the decision we made. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough ride. There's ups and downs. And um, as long as you're trending upwards, 
eventually that's the main thing but within that you know that that kind of disguises lots of daily ups and downs um so it's not for everybody i I tell this to people who are considering it it's not for everybody because if you don't like uncertainty then you shouldn't join a a new company you shouldn't start a new company because it's uncertain um and some people thrive on that and some people don't and um it's 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 tough to know until you do it, but you have to go with your gut instinct, I think. It's funny. I, I feel sometimes when talking about entrepreneurship, I've got my own tiny little startup uh, and it's nothing. I'm not trying to duplicate any kind of the scale of a technology company the way that you guys are. But I generally discourage people from doing what I'm doing. And one of the reasons that I discourage people is, is number one, it's so difficult that if you don't really want it or you don't really have a clear vision, you're going to – you're not going to you're not going to follow through and i basically assume that the ones who should follow my advice to walk away and not do what i'm doing or or not follow entrepreneurship they'll get discouraged and the ones who have the tenacity to follow through will just simply ignore the advice and it seems even in what you're saying i hear the same thing and i hear it as a constant theme with entrepreneurs it seems like most entrepreneurs discourage other people from doing what they're doing knowing that the ones who probably should do what they're doing will just simply ignore their <laughs> ignore their advice and do it anyway yeah. i think there's a lot of truth in that it, it, it's it's difficult so unless you really really want to do it it's probably not the thing for you um because there are obstacles along the way and unless you have a real passion for it then uh, then it's going to be tough um but just coming back to your question joshua i i think you know one of the things i'm really enjoying now is we're getting to the scale and i'm my role at the company now i'm getting to meet face to face a lot of our members we go around the country and, and host events and and um, just get to interact. And there's not really an agenda there. There's no sales pitch. We just want to get to know them better and, and you know, have a chance to say thank you. And it's really um, powerful once you meet people and see how you're changing their lives. We, we're, we have the benefit of dealing with, a, with financial products that have a huge role in people's lives. You know, if you can refinance their student debt and save them $20,000, that's, that's big. And there's great stories. Just last week I was at a dinner and there was a, um, a couple there who um, they didn't feel like they could start a family because they didn't feel like they had their personal finances in order. They refinanced with SoFi, saved lots of money, got their finances in order, and now they're going through the adoption process um, because they they believe that that you know they've got things under control at home. And I, I think when you meet people like that and you hear stories like that, um, you know it's great, it's moving because you're now you're changing people's lives in a in a very meaningful way. So. That was always the intention, and it takes a while to get there. But but now we're doing that each and every day, and, and, and that means a lot to us. That's really special. Two final questions, Dan, and we're done. Uh, number one, I'm interested in your perspective from an insider's view. Well, coming from an outsider from the UK, from Asia, coming in and then trying to understand and deal within the U.S. financial regulatory environment. Uh, you have different state laws. You're working with different products. Some are are regulated at the national level, some at the local level. What's your overall perspective on the U.S. financial regulatory framework? What's been your experience working within it? Okay, so first of all, disclaimer, I'm no expert on this. We have um, very well-qualified and and well-paid legal experts in the SoFi team that handle most of this stuff. Um, But what I would say is the – 
I mean, I, there has to be regulation. There has to be regulation in finance because it's such an important industry and you can't have people just investing in anything and losing all their money because the economy um, and people's lives are, are at stake. Uh, I think sometimes that regulation can get in the way of innovation. Um, you know, we are trying to we, – we are not a bank. We are a non-bank lender. So we have licenses in each state in which we lend. And we have to obtain those licenses for every lending product that we wish to offer. And, and mortgages, for example, is, is a tougher uh, license to get in some of the states. So it just takes longer to get them. Uh, and while we, you know, we understand that, it, it's frustrating when you have people that want to use your product, but they happen to live in the, lo- the wrong state and can't use your product. Um, so, so we work very closely with the, uh, with the regulators to make sure that we're obviously fully compliant. But, but just that those differences across states, it, it makes it a little bit wonky in your offering um, because you, you can't offer the same things to all people on, on your website. Do you find the regulatory environment to be tilted at all in favor of the big dogs, the large financial institutions that are already covering the market? Um, that's a tough one. I mean, I, if, I think if you look at the number of new companies that have started in the finance area, particularly in the last five years, so far included, um, it's, it's really, you know, heating up now. There's lots of new players coming in. And in general, we have, um, you know, we have very supportive and, and, and great relationships with the regulators. So, so no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to say that. Uh, I think there's a lot of, uh, thirst for innovation and new ideas and competition, which I think is great. Last question. You've talked, uh, here's your softball Go through and in a moment after after the interview, I'll, I'll go through the radical personal finance SoFi relationship in detail, all the terms of the offers that that we'll be making. But talk through who would you like to see research SoFi uh, to see if SoFi can help them save money, and who would you want to steer away as far as well, we're going to guess that if you're in this situation, we probably wouldn't be able to serve you the best. So in general, it's credit worthy people, uh, which is a, a fairly vague statement. Um, but if you have looking at student loans, if you have student loan debt and you're paying north of 5% on it, then there's a very real chance that we can save you money by refinancing that debt. Uh, mortgages, if you're looking to buy a home for the first time, um, particularly if you don't have 20% down payment, we, we offer great rates and, and offer the ability for that 10% down payment option. And then personal loans, we haven't spoken too much about that, but if you have any kind of credit card debt that's north of 10%, then, then our personal loan rates are in the 5 to 10% range, and uh, there's no reason to be paying 15% interest on a, on a credit card if you can pay 7% through a personal loan. Um, so credit-worthy people, people who are employed, people that have good credit histories, uh, it, you, know, you should check us out. And there, there are no commitments for any of our products. There's no origination fees or, 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 or funny fees lurking in the background. Um, and, and when you apply, you're not committing yourself to anything. So um, have a look, have a look, um, see what see what you think. But but you know, many many thousands of people are applying every day, and and we, we've funded now over well, close to five billion dollars, and most of that's this year. So the word is spreading. But but I'm I'm always eager to make sure that there are more people out there that, that get a good deal when they can get one. Dan, thanks for coming on. Where do you want people, if they want to connect with you personally? Do you keep a blog, a company blog, Twitter? Where would you like people to connect with you? 
We do have a company blog, and I write on that. Uh, also, uh, Twitter, the handle is MacklinDan. Um, uh, I'm just starting. I'm, I'm a newbie at Twitter, but, 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 uh, but I'm making decent progress. <laughs> Dan, thanks for coming on. Joshua, thank you. If you would like to try out SoFi, I have a tracking link. And the way that you can use my tracking link so that I get credit for your actions is to go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash SoFi. That's S-O-F-I, short for social finance. RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash SoFi. And the benefit of using that link is if you use that, that uh, referral code, uh, which automatically works if you go through that link, you will save 200 bucks on the refinance of your student loans and 100 bucks on the refinance of any personal loans. So if you execute a personal loan with them, you save a hundred, they'll give you 100 bucks uh, in your account and 200 bucks on your student loans. And then I also receive a commission if you use that tracking link, which I would say thank you for. That is very useful and helpful to me and to the show. So you can find that link at radicalpersonalfinance.com slash SoFi. I'm not going to belabor it with details here, although of course if you have additional details, I'd be happy to answer them. The one thing I want to mention to you is those of you who are familiar with some of the other sponsors of the show know that we have a sponsor named Jay Fleischman. Jay is a student loan attorney, and I have recommended that if you have student loans, that you meet with Jay. Uh, just because SoFi is on here doesn't mean that I've changed that recommendation. I mean it. I sincerely recommend that you meet with Jay. I was on the phone with somebody earlier today, and I told him, you need to call Jay Fleischman. You have student loans. Why haven't you called Jay yet? Do you not do what I tell you on the show? <laughs> I, I said it nicely, but that was the point. Was I said, call Jay. Uh, and the point is that student financing, refinancing student loans can be a very good thing to do. However, there are some reasons why you shouldn't. And how are you going to know whether you should just refinance directly or not? You're going to get advice. Call Jay. So that is the key. Call Jay. And then if the best thing for you to do is just to refinance your student loans and you can do that and cut back your interest rates and improve your terms, then Jay will be the one to tell you that and he will recommend that. He is a fan of SoFi and he will recommend that you do that uh, if that is right for you. So your best method of procedure here is call Jay or better, sorry, not call. Go to studentloanshow.com slash radical, studentloanshow.com slash radical. That will take you through to Jay Fleischman, who is a sponsor of the show. And then after reviewing your situation with Jay, then check into refinancing your student loans with SoFi, or again, if you have personal debt, or perhaps some of you might be able to use uh, their mortgage services as well. And if you'd like to do that, go to radicalpersonalfinance.com slash SoFi. That's it. That's all I wanted to cover for today's show. Sorry if my timing in these intros and outros is a little bit off, uh, feeling a little bit under the weather today, but wanted to make sure to get the show out for you. I thank each and every one of you who listens. Uh, if you are listening to this in the current week, it is Thanksgiving week in the United States. This show is going out on November 23, 2015. So here on Thanksgiving week, happy Thanksgiving. I'll be releasing a number of shows for you, and then we'll have a little break at the end of the week for Thanksgiving uh, as we wind into the holiday season. I hope that uh, I hope that 2015 has treated you well. 2015 has definitely treated me well, uh, but I'm even more excited about 2016 than I am about 2015. Lots of big changes coming. So I uh, hope the content has been useful. I hope that uh, it has gotten increasingly better and more useful for you. Thank you each and every one of you who listens. Special thanks to those of you who support the show on Patreon. That is uh, the system where if you want to support the show directly, uh, you can do so by patronizing our advertisers. That's helpful. Or if you want to skip the advertiser route or if you just find value in the content and you'd like to tell me that, then send me some money on Patreon. Uh, the way you do that is go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Sign up to support the show. Uh, RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron can be as little as a buck a month, as much as a couple hundred bucks a month. 
various benefits there. One of the benefits that you may enjoy is there is a presentation there. It's about a 25-minute video presentation. At any level of support, even at a buck a month, you will gain access to that presentation. And that will lay out for you the framework for wealth, which is the basically, the uh, in some ways, it's the broad outline of the book that I'm working on. And it's a broad outline of everything I know about finance fits into that outline. And so you can see that's one of the benefits of becoming a patron. So go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron, and you will find all of those details. Until tomorrow, thank you all so much for being here. Appreciate each and every one of you.